This is Yachting Yarns and I'm Linda Woods. In this episode, we catch up with Bill Hatfield again. It's now 40 years since his first yachting adventure. He's been on dry land for too long and is keen to get back out to sea. He's also ready for a challenge, so he set his sights on breaking a world record. Well, what had happened, uh, I was looking around for boats and uh, flew down to Hobart to um, have a look at this boat and miraculously the boat disappeared off the boat breakers' books and they couldn't find him. And so I said, well, I'm down here. And they said, well, would you like to look at anything else? And so here was a, a boat uh, and I bought it. I uh, came down with my car to Hobart and thought, I'll fit this boat out for travelling. So I fitted it out with a various cruising things, specifically a high-frequency radio, self-steering gear, autopilot, a few extra things, and uh, thought, all right, I'll sail around the Pacific. So I sailed back up to Queensland, uh, and um, I thought, oh, I think I might make a trip somewhere. I looked around and I thought, why nobody's actually done a trip crossing the equator each time? So I had a look, you know, it was possible to travel around the world crossing the equator and each of the oceans, the Pacific, the Indian and the Atlantic. And that would be actually a proper circumnavigation. And then I sort of looked a bit further and suddenly saw there was a record to be broken. Nobody had sailed around the world west about non-stop in a boat under 40 feet. So I thought, I'll give that a go. Let's start with the most basic of all needs for a yachting record, the yacht itself. How did you decide what would be the best craft for the job? So I called it an Adams 33. Basically, the original design of Model 33, which there are quite a lot of boats about, but they were made as a centre cockpit. So this is a one-off boat, although there are similar hull shapes in many, many Model 33s. So it's a 33-foot sort of hand-built fibreglass one-off and a plywood deck and quite nice, nice-looking nice woodwork inside. Reasonable performer. So I uh, had a, a few new sails made for it. I took off. A solo world trip is exactly that. You're on your own. So how does anybody know where you are? And more importantly, that you're okay. When I decided to do this, I thought, well, I'll do it properly and uh, came across the World Sail Speed Record Council. I didn't really know anything about them. And they have rules. If you want to sail so far or say you've gone so fast, they say, all right, give us some money and we will send an official observer and he will time you over the course. He will see that you follow the rules. You don't start your motor up. You don't get help from outside. You don't stop off at ports. Uh, The way they do that, you have to broadcast your position every four hours so that the Iridium satellite would do that for you. Could only do it every two hours, so, which they could receive in their headquarters in uh, England and see that you were actually sailing. So that's how the, the, the sort of communication. So I was doing it under just like a, an Olympic record or a, a national record or something like that. There's somebody is in charge. If you want to run 100 yards or 100 metres, um, someone will time you. So someone is watching out for you and making sure you're following all the rules. Exactly. And also, um, if it stop, you've got these EPIRBs, which you go up to the satellite and give you a position, a GPS position. So if they see my position stop in the one spot or gone off the air and you're in a life raft and you set off your life raft, the first thing they do is say, you know, is it a false signal? If they can see that, right, you've not travelled anywhere, that's gone blank. And then in the same part, a signal comes out. They say, yeah, and that's definitely an emergency. You wouldn't pull this one thing and the other, you know, that went off, they could contact you and uh, everything would be fine. So that was one of the reasons why I did this under surveillance. It was on the web, so also my daughter see the same thing. So there was a little bit of safety involved in that. In your first trip back in 1974 as a young man, you didn't take much with you. How was this journey different? 
Not being able to land anywhere for months means you must have given a lot of thought this time to what you would need. Well, as I say, I had the high-frequency radio, which I used. It worked well, uh, but there's nobody really to talk to, so I had that. And then I had a satellite navigation system uh, on a few computers, backups of paper charts. I had uh, spare autopilot, wind vane, quite well set up for you know backups of what I needed. Then I decided, all right, what food do I need? I'm a great fan of rolled oats, and I love brown rice, and flour for pancakes, so I just did a calculation how many calories I'd need for 10 months or so. Worked out that I needed 2,300 kilocalories or whatever it was and uh, worked out the protein I needed and so it was a very, very basic food. Occasionally caught fish, occasionally flying fish would land on the deck to make a, a difference. Quite a lot of meals I had of, of flying fish. You'd travel along in the night time and they'd fly up and they'd just fly in, into the boat and in the morning you go around and often you know, two, three, four dozen flying fish would be there and then break change from tin tuna and salmon. So week after week, month after month, with no one for company, did you ever think you'd go mad and start talking to the fish? As <laughs> they always say with people, you know, you've got to be crazy to start with is the, the standard reply to that. Well, with this satellite navigator, I had a, an excellent email application. I could write an email at any time to anyone, and I ran a little bit of a blog at the time. Oh, I was well into the Atlantic. A guy from Canada said, can you hear what people say about you on your blog? And I said, no, I can't do it. And he said, oh. So he arranged so I could receive my comments back on what I was writing on the blog. So that was always a bit of a to and fro. Talk about what you're doing and, and think about and think about other people. So that, that was the community. Communications. Also had a telephone, uh, so I could talk on, on the phone to my daughters and uh, occasionally, oh, one of my friends. So yeah, you had phone, you had email. Didn't ever miss the fact that I wasn't able to talk to people. What exactly does the term solo and non-stop mean? Do the rules prevent you from speaking to anyone? The idea was not to go into any port, to have nothing given to you. No mail, no bits, no parts, no fuel or food to be taken aboard. The rules state that you can, the harvest of the ocean, if you come across a bit of driftwood, you can pick that up. You can actually anchor, but you can't go ashore above the high tide line. So there's sort of a little bit of a challenge. That was it. My intention was to then go around Cape Horn and um, sail across the Pacific and home in one stop. It didn't work out that way. It's no secret that you had major problems and had to quit this attempt when you were just over halfway so what went wrong a little bit of a, a glitch first off i sailed down to about uh, eden in the south coast from from the gold coast starting off on this trip I was going to go around the canary islands so i went back to sydney restarted but that meant i had to go around the azores so uh, pretty good going i had a self-furling gear twin running head sails which are traveling quite nicely across the indian ocean and i tried to furl it one afternoon and I noticed it wouldn't furl again. And I looked up and uh, saw that the force day was just about parted. It was only hanging on by a few strands. I don't know, it's a thousand miles from Madagascar. I climbed up the mast, it's a bit tricky, cut this uh, sail down, replaced it with another force day, which I had. I decided to keep going with that 
not quite so good sail system for continuing up and travelling quite nicely around the Azores and it was pretty good. I lost a few things on the way. I had a, a windmill for generating and uh, it failed. And that was about all of that stage, past the Falklands. And then a little while after I'd rounded Cape Horn, I got severely knocked down. I thought I'd, I'd had change of wind would allow me to head northwest up past the Chilean archipelago and uh, Straits of Magellan. And I went out on deck, a sort of what they call, you know, a rogue wave, upturned the yacht and I was thrown into the water. I had no harness on and uh, I wasn't far away from the yacht. I was able to pull myself up before the yacht righted and as it righted I managed to get over the rail. I noticed all the rigging on the on the port side, two out of the four strands had, had broken and the mast was very wobbly. It knocked in the side of the cabin the windows and... Uh, stripping a lot of water. Oh, and it had wiped off my solar panels and my windmill at the same time. So I decided, all right, time to go back to the Falklands. Took me about a week or so, a bit more than a week, to sail back to the Falklands, just under jib. When I turned over, my batteries had gone, my high frequency had gone. I had five GPS navigation systems, I think, or more, and only one worked without a chart. And I only had sodden charts of the South Atlantic and I managed to find the Falkland Islands, sailed all the way my main, I couldn't use the main just under jib and I had no motor so I had to sail into the Falkland Harbour decided that not a good place to repair boats uh, so I thought I'd take off the stuff that was working and leave the boat there and one of the Ocean Cruising Club guy said oh look we've got somebody who uh, might want to buy the boat off you. So within a week I'd sold the boat as is and flew back to Australia so that was my first uh, real attempt of uh, doing a non-stop around the world. It was a reasonable distance, about, I think, 18 or 20,000 miles out of the 30,000, so that was a little disappointing, but health bells, you know, that's part of the fun. I'm sure it was fun. Now, Bill didn't give up. He made another attempt at the world record in 2018. This would also end dramatically. He'll explain what went wrong in episode three of Yachting Yarns. You can see Bill's photographs on the Yachting Yarns Facebook page. I'm Linda Woods. I'll see you next time.